electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It sure does. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Leslie Picker in for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Bonowin Eisen, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, check out the after-hours action and shares of a firm. The stock rocketing higher after inking a deal with Amazon. We'll have the full details coming up. Plus, from worst to first, energy stocks rebounding in a big way to post their best week Since May, we're drilling down on all the big moves. And later, we've got a special edition of Fast Money coming your way, all about the Fed effect, how taper talks and potential rate hikes impact everything from your grocery bills to buying a house. We break it all down starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. And we start this hour with all those Fed headlines that sent markets soaring today. The S&P and Nasdaq closing at new records. The Dow jumping more than 200 points. This is Jerome Powell seemed to set a timetable for the taper, but tamped down expectations for any rate hikes. Let's get right to Steve Leisman, who's been following all the action in the virtual Jackson Hole this year. Steve. Yeah, a virtual Jackson Hole with real impacts on the markets, as you said. Fedger Jay Powell said outright he expects the Fed would start tapering later this year if the economy continues to improve. But he left himself flexibility by not offering a specific month for the announcement or the beginning of the taper. Powell said inflation, it's past the test to start tapering. Employment on the way to a passing grade. The outlook for the labor market has brightened considerably in recent months. After faltering last winter, job gains have risen steadily over the course of this year and now average 832,000 over the past three months, of which almost 800,000 have been in services. Powell said the Delta variant represented a risk, but he still expects good job growth in the months ahead. That an said inflation will likely prove to be transitory and that rate hikes require a higher standard than tapering does. But members of the Federal Market Committee in interviews on CNBC right here, they were pretty definitive. It was time for the Fed to ease back on the throttle. My view would be let's start the taper and let's let's do it quickly. Let's not have this linger. You know, the last time we did the taper, the economy was in a much weaker position than it is right now. And because of that, there was some uncertainty that the taper itself could trigger uh, some some weakness, further weakness in the economy. I just don't think we're in that position now. So a lot depends now on that coming August jobs report. We'll get that next Friday. And how much his committee or Powell's committee insists it's time to go now. A taper could be announced September or November. But it's clear, Leslie, it's coming. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate it. And all of your hard work throughout the week. It's been a busy one for you. Uh, We have an after hours. Actually, we are going to start trading uh, what happened with the Fed this week. Uh, Tim, what do you make of the comments and and what is a kind of pulling back of these asset purchases mean for the prospect of volatility in the market? 
So I, I want to be clear, more, more Fed or you know, less, less accommodation or some tapering equals more volatility. But as you saw this week and really where we were from early last week, volatility is off uh, almost 40 percent. So uh, the, the market heard Powell today say, look for every reason not even to be tapering, running at odds with six other Fed presidents who came in uh, and as Steve interviewed all day, it seemed like it was a parade of regional Fed presidents that said not only let's hike but let's begin tapering excuse me not hike taper but but let's do it as soon as possible so um, Powell went out there to also point out that yeah I think we've hit two percent inflation no kidding but is it sustainable so he keeps moving the goalposts I think and and for the markets that's great news Uh, and if you look at what outperformed this week it wasn't necessarily stocks that were uh, you know, beneficiaries of a lot of liquidity. So I would argue high multiple stocks and stocks that, that might benefit in a slower growth environment where the Fed's more active. Um, you, you saw, look, not just energy, we'll talk about that, but I think you saw industrials, transports, uh, banks, as we saw yields move higher. And the sense is the economy really is recovering and that the Delta uh, variant, at least in the short term, were the headlines keeping some of those sectors back for the last six to eight weeks. If the Fed stays out of the way, uh, and again, yes, big payroll number next Friday. But, um, you know, I I think the market has some more room to run. Jeff, do you agree with that, especially if there is some kind of surprise uh, between now and September that changes the direction of, you know, what at this point in time seems like just a given that the Fed will begin tapering this year? I think that's the key and that, that it is a given. Steve said it, tapering is coming and the market knows that. And I don't think he said anything today that changes the market's mind relative to the timeline for any sort of monetary tightening. Uh, clearly divorced tapering from rate hikes. I think that's pretty important. So whether tapering happens in November or December, you're not going to see rate hikes until the end of 2022 at the earliest. And what I think that means is probably a steeper yield curve and a market that is able to accept its fate, which is tapering coming over the next couple of months. And uh, Tim mentioned what led this week. I thought what led today was particularly interesting because I would have expected long-term rates to drift a little bit higher, the curve to steepen, sort of the opposite happened. So, so you might have a little bit of a different read on how the market was interpreting this. But one thing I'll say about the 10-year Treasury, there was a lot going on in the options market today relative to some expiration. So I think the volatility in the 10-year might not be the right read. I think what you saw in the equity markets in terms of how investors are interpreting this is the right read. Value marginally underperforming, but banks outperforming, mid-cap, small-cap outperforming by a lot, international outperforming. So I think that's the read on how the market's interpreting what happened today with the Fed. Steve, I see you nodding. Uh, Do you like Jeff's assessment of the right read, the markets responding in the way they should? Yeah, you know, just to uh, Tim and Jeff's points, we we had, as, as Tim said, six Fed officials come out being uh, uber hawkish, I would say, it, it, relative to what we've seen as of late. And you, you heard Chair Powell sort of thread the needle on what he had to say. And to Steve's point, he showed flexibility, the ability to sort of, uh, you know, thread the needle between what everyone thinks should be done and what will be done. And I think the takeaway for the market as we've seen another 52, 52nd high for the market for the year, is that it's going to be accommodative. We're going to see easy money. The punch bowl is not getting removed. You will see, I, I think he's done an excellent job at communicating taper does not equate to uh, a rate hike 
And when you look at this, Leslie, when you look at the 10-year, to Jeff's point, we had a high of a one spot 7.4%, a low of one spot 1.7. The middle ground is one spot 4.5%. So we're still in this pretty Goldilocks environment as far as rates. And what I mean by that is that value can perform, growth can perform. If we dip below 125, 126 in the 10 year, then you start to get a little bit of nervousness and anxiousness in the market. And if you pop above 150, you're gonna get the same type of event. So I think he's threaded the needle, just to wrap it up, he's threaded the needle. I think value and growth uh, can perform. If I were putting new money to work right now, I would put it in the value basket. Bono, mm. as the three gentlemen who spoke before you mentioned, there's really been kind of this divorce now in, in terms of sentiment with regard to tapering versus rate hikes. That's become just ever more present this week as we hear more Fed officials speak. In terms of trading, though, are you kind of readjusting your portfolio to account for what's going on with the pairing back or potential pairing back of asset purchases versus rate hikes further down the road? Um, yeah, well, I'm always adjusting the portfolio, but I wouldn't say it was precipitated by the comments that were made today. I think a lot of us have come on here and kind of said, listen, um, so, actually, let me take a step back first. So two things that really point, that really stuck out to me. We talked about volatility, and then Steve kind of alluded to like equilibrium, right? There seems to be this push pull, push pull between absolute dovishness or absolute hawkishness. And the fact of the matter is that we still do have this underlying delta unknown that is in neither one or the other camp. And what I think Powell is trying to do is say, okay, I can recognize that there are inflationary pressures, that the economy is performing well, and I need to move in lockstep with that. But there is a caveat that I want to allow myself maximum flexibility to adjust if that is necessary. Um, the last thing about volatility, looking at the VIX, right, we're back down towards a low. And the last thing that you want to do when tapering is have a repeat of previous history. So to be very transparent and forthright in terms of how you're going to move, understanding that you are going to be in, I'm going to stop short of saying injecting volatility, but you are going to be removing a volatility dampening product from the market or procedure from the market. And I think it's very important that we, we kind of find some equilibrium between those two. But in terms of repositioning in the portfolio, I think you've already seen that, to Steve's point, both growth and value can perform, can perform well. And I would caution against jumping completely into one camp or the other. That's my key takeaway. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Uh, we have an after-hours news alert on shares of a firm. The payment stock rocketing higher on some deal news. Let's get to Kate Rooney with all the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Leslie, a firm shares have been up as much as 40% after hours after a partnership with Amazon. Amazon is getting into what has been a booming buy now, pay later space. The e-commerce giant is partnering with a firm for its first ever installment payment options on the e-commerce site. Shares of a firm, as I mentioned, absolutely soaring after this announcement. They had been up as much as 40%. They're up uh, about 39% here after hours. A firm's buy now, pay later checkout option will be available to certain Amazon customers in the U.S. That starts today with a broader rollout in the coming months. The partnership will let Amazon customers split up purchases of $50 or more into those smaller monthly installment payments. I'm told some of these will be interest-bearing. Others will have zero interest. It really depends on the borrower. And this could be big for a firm. The shares had gotten hit 
earlier in the week after Peloton earnings. They have there was some concern about uh, revenue concentration for the company. Peloton, of course, is a big partner for a firm. Amazon, though, the biggest retailer in the U.S., eMarketer estimates Amazon will account for more than 40 percent of e-commerce spending in the U.S. this year. The partnership on Friday, of course, is the latest sign of a red-hot lending space here. Younger consumers have really been moving towards these alternative lines of credit. A firm is one of the better-known options, but we had Square recently announcing its $29 billion deal to buy Australian fintech Afterpay to get into the space. PayPal, Klarna, American Express, Citi, J.P. Morgan all have these similar lending products now. And Apple finally is reportedly planning to launch installment lending in a partnership with Goldman Sachs. Leslie, back to you. It's a fascinating, evolving area, Kate. I think Tim Tim Seymour has a question for you. Tim. Well, Kate, ultimately, I think the question is, they've already struck a partnership with Apple Canada on, on at least activity up north of the border. Does this leave room or is this an exclusive deal? Is this a, a place where really we see these two companies' fortunes, not Amazon's per se, but a firm tied to Amazon at this point? It's interesting. That really has been the case with Peloton. We really, uh, some of the, the partnerships have sort of been a leading indicator for a firm stock, you saw it sort of trading in sympathy with Peloton. I think it does tend to sort of trade along with whoever it's partnered with. But Amazon being such a big chunk of U.S. e-commerce has investors clearly really excited. The, the shares have been up you know, as much as 40 percent here after hours. Not sure on exclusivity if this means that they wouldn't be able to partner with certain people because they're with Amazon. And one of the things we were wondering, is this something that Amazon could have built internally? It's interesting that they didn't build their own buy now, pay later product and instead went with the partnership model. Yeah, those are all really, really good questions, Kate. And I think the one about exclusivity will be key and will come into focus, hopefully, in the next few days. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Kate Rooney. Uh, Steve Grasso, what do you take on what's your take on this? Well, it's, it's obviously what you see in the price action. It's extremely bullish for a firm. And the short interest in a firm is not that spectacular. It's, it's under 10%. But it just begs the question, how much was Bezos involved in this, if at all, on this decision? How long was this decision in the making? And to what Kate just said, who, who decided to go this route versus do it your own? Why couldn't Amazon do this on their own? Well, they have a credit card. They have uh, every other payment options. This seems like a no-brainer to do it on your own. So I, I think it's 100% bullish for a firm. I'm still questioning why Amazon wouldn't just do this in-house. So that would be the only head-scratcher for me. Not that, it, not that that even means anything. Bono, and what do you think? Um, I think in terms of scale and scope, it's definitely positive for a firm. I will add that it's after-hours trading on a Friday, so you're going to be a little light there. The real question, if, if, if I had a bone to pick, it would be about profitability and margin. Because anytime you find yourself in business with Amazon, with, with all due respect, they do have pricing and negotiating power. And so it'll be, it will be interesting to see reading through the details in terms of what the margins are, are actually going to be realized on that deal. Jeff, let's say this is exclusive uh, with Affirm and Amazon. What does that mean for some of the Affirm competitors that Kate laid out? What does it mean for the credit card companies, traditional methods of payment, PayPal, Apple? What does that mean for those names? Well, all of those companies now are trying to build out this sort of capability. Um, so it will be interesting to see uh, the exclusivity of this deal and ultimately what that means for a firm and their ability to, to do more of these partnerships going forward. Because I think ultimately 
that might be where some of the upside is in the stock. When, when I'm hearing about this over and over again, we talked about it with Square and Afterpay. The one thing that comes to mind, I know the question's been raised before, is what, what is the credit quality uh, of the underlying loan books here look like? We're in a really good economy right now, tons of excess savings, the consumer's in a great spot, the labor market's really strong, so I'm not worried about that in the near term, but potentially going down the line, uh, when the economy eventually stumbles, what does it mean for some of these companies that are now trading at extremely high valuations? Uh, with a stock like Lafer, I mean, it was all the way up to 140, so even with the move after hours, it's still way down. 140 probably wasn't justified. Probably the price where it is now is about right. So I don't know if you weren't in before this, uh, how much near-term upside there is. Right, well, certainly some volatility, as you mentioned, thin trading uh, on a Friday, so we'll keep an eye on it. Coming up, we're watching oil prices. Crude posting its biggest week in nearly a year as a major storm prompts shutdowns in the Gulf. What it means for energy stocks and how you should play it. Fast Money is back in two. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Fast Money, where we're tracking the latest developments in the Gulf. The region under watches Hurricane Ida makes landfall in Cuba and is expected to strengthen as it heads toward the U.S. Ida could strike New Orleans this Sunday, which is the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Major oil firms slashing production in the Gulf by 59 percent due to the storm. Crude oil higher today and up more than 10 percent this week. That's its best week since October. The move sending energy names higher as well. Shares of Devon Energy, Valero, Royal Dutch Shell and Chevron surging today. So let's take a deep dive into energy ahead of this fast moving storm. Steve, specifically, what does this mean for refiners as we talk about these storms, as we talk about that region in particular? What does it mean for them? So if it depends on whether it's a category two or category three uh, when it hits category two, you're probably not going to see uh, anything at all. So usually these type of events, weather related, are always a sell the news type of situation. But the the refiners that are in that area are Valero, MPC, and then you get to the diversified chemical space with an LYB. Uh, if if it becomes a category three or stronger, you want to go with a Holly Frontier HFC because that's out of the area and they'll be able to get back online uh, sooner if the other ones are pushed offline. But I think uh, just playing it as a whole, Leslie, you want to look at crude. Crude's at a trading range, 75 down to 62. Mm -hmm. Then everything else kind of plays along with it. But playing this specific event, refiners are the ones that uh, should be played as far as a guessing bet. And hopefully everyone 
stays safe. So let's not lose sight of that as well. Yeah, our thoughts are with the people in those regions. Uh, Jeff, how are you looking at this? Is this something where you would maybe pursue an ETF or the commodity itself or specific names? What are you what are you looking at? I think there are a lot of ways to play it right now. And I think more or less the writing was on the wall for energy even before all of this. So if you go back to last week, I think 80% of energy stocks traded to a three-month low. So that sector was flushed and it made sense to lean in, I think, regardless of what was going on weather-wise. And oil has kind of come back into that trading range like Steve talked about. And I think the fundamentals are actually pretty good. I think it all has to do with the Delta variant peaking narrative starting to perk up a little bit here, vaccines being fully approved. So a little bit more of that risk on sentiment coming back into the commodity. Uh, And I just think generally speaking, the fundamentals are good. You you continue to have strong demand. Uh, Supply has been limited. Inventory draws have been a little bit bigger than expected. So you can look at XLE, XOP, individual names like EOG. Look at all those charts. They look so similar. They're all bumping right up against that upward sloping 200-day moving average. So a pretty decent time here to jump in. And then the last thing I'll say, if you want exposure, but you want to be a little bit more insulated from the commodity, look at a company like Chenier. I mean, they have stable, predictable cash flows, 85% take or pay contracts with really high quality uh, customers. So I think you can look at a lot of different places to, to play this trade right now. Tim, what do you think? Is uh, energy ready to break out of this range? I think it's been a prove me trade, and I think energy companies are still way under owned. And, and, you know, relative to a benchmark, not necessarily, but in, in terms of beta and, and folks looking to add alpha in a portfolio, what, what I would say is, again, you, you have to look at energy stocks different than the price of, of Brent or crude, whatever you're following. And while I think the price of Brent uh, will continue to move higher, uh, because I just think demand dynamics are going to continue to show where uh, you combine that with OPEC plus, where there's a lot more coordination. And, and I think synthesis between this important price, you know, determining, not taking uh, group. I, I really do think they are uh, determining the price right now. But but more importantly, a name like AOG, EOG, who Jeff just mentioned, this is a company who is generating free cash flow, who may buy back stock, and the companies are run better than ever. Bono, and what's your take? Well, listen, I, I mean, this, this subsector has certainly been under owned, and it makes sense that, you know, clearly the underperformer is going to have some laggard effect and, and then later catch up. As it pertains to this discrete um, situation in terms of uh, Hurricane Ida, the term transitory has kind of been thrown around. I'm going to say this, this fits the bill for that. Looking into the options market, where I take a lot of cues, I'm actually seeing investors get long shares via synthetics so that they can lean into the shorts once the, the tops have kind of been washed out. So I have a bit of a contrarian view in the short term as it pertains to trading this specific catalyst. But mm-hmm. I think the other panelists made a lot of good points in terms of long-term investment or intermediate-term investment. Interesting. And just to reiterate, our thoughts are with those uh, in the Gulf as they, uh, this storm approaches their region. Up next, your final trades. It's time now for the final trade, Tim. Thanks for being here, Leslie. EOG, again, the story is cash return, multi-prime. Steve. Trinseo, TSE, looking for higher prices. Bonawin. VIX is starting to find a floor around 15. I start playing volatility from the long side, VIX. And, and last but not least, Mills. I'll keep it in energy, LNG. Stock looks like it's breaking out. I think it's going higher. All right. Thank you, guys. That does it for Fast Money. Options Action is next. 
everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.